Mike say that and not me. I'm Bobby. But today, Mike is in Chicago. Filling in for Mike is actually, I think, the first person that I met on the Mavs Media beat way back in 2013. A real day oneer, at least in my NBA life, Tim Cato. I was going to say we met in 2014, so clearly that first year was. No, it was 2013. I, I believe you. I'm just saying that first year must not have been that memorable. Oh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> well, no, that was back. The, I think that was the only season that you sat upstairs in the press box. Beyond that, you just started going downstairs because you were doing your SB Nation thing. And yeah, it might have been. I, I don't know. I was in the press box. I feel like I was in the press box for a couple of years. I do, right. I do agree that it, it's a better view mm-hmm. compared to the seating they put us in, which now just sounds like a complaint. Yeah, like it I'm really is. Entitled like to more. I can't believe you have, to, you have to sit in the lower <laughs> bowl to watch the NBA, dude. That I know. How tough. awful. Yeah. Uh, it was the second or f- it was the first or second day of Mavs training camp. I want to say it was their second practice in 2013. I was uh, a young, clean-shaven, 22-year-old idiot who we had both no were, idea. For the record. Well, you were not 22. You yeah, were like, I, pr- I would have like been 15 I would have been 20. 16. Oh, okay. Or 21. 20, and, uh, 20, definitely. I got to the arena on time or late as usual, and uh, walked into the practice court, didn't really know what I was doing. Most people in the media uh, look like just like you and me, unfortunately. It's just a bunch of white guys in the media, but um, that is changing over the last few years, thankfully. But anyway, I walked in, did not recognize a single person, and uh, then I saw you and other Tim, not Tim McMahon or Tim Kalashaw, uh, it was or Tim Hardaway or Tim Hardaway <laughs> or, or Junior. None of those Tims were there. Well, other Tims were there, but I saw uh, other 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 Tim, uh, Hal Brown, Tim Brown, and, uh, struck Good off. Dude. Uh, yeah, struck up a conversation with y'all, and we be all became best friends. Yes, we hang out every day. And yeah, have ever since that meeting. Yeah, well, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, you've been to my mom's house in Louisville. I think I've. I really? spent a night in your parents' house in Round Rock. Is that real? Yeah. On yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually remember have. you and me and other, other, other Tim uh, went to the Spurs game opening yeah. night of the 2014-15 season. And on the way back, I think we stayed over in uh, the Casa de Cato down in uh Man, that's, that was. that's a deep cut. Clearly. Yeah, that's going way back in time. Yeah. And if, if, I'm, if memory serves, I think... You and I were the first ever episode of the Mavs Moneyball podcast. <laughs> I do believe so. Yeah, so uh, we go way did, back. Did, was that the one we recorded at the the Baylor Stadium? I think we did one at the Baylor Stadium, but I also think that we, uh, yeah, we did can, one there. Can we turn this podcast into a podcast about our fireworks just career? About our memories? No, just just the, the fireworks, the illumination. How many shows? Yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, I am a licensed pyrotechnician. <laughs> I've been. Uh, what a, a brag. Well, I mean, okay. You know, it, it, you you would brag about it if you were to. But either since 2014 or 2015, I don't remember, I've had uh, a license to shoot professional-grade pyrotechnics. That's and, that's the uh, Second Amendment right. Is it? I don't think it's a Second Amendment. Th- well, maybe it is. But uh, <laughs> Tim worked on a few shows. How many, how many shows did you do? 
Oh, probably like 20 or 30. That many? Yeah, I think so. Really? Yeah, they weren't all with you. Maybe maybe two or three or four together. But so I, I, would, I would fill in every once in a while. It was a... Uh, I was juggling many media jobs. Mm-hmm. I had Mavs Moneyball and and freelancing high school sports games and you know part time at SB Nation, and you know, still needed a little bit more money for like a midnight Taco Bell run because mm-hmm. that's what you do in college, and uh, so I picked up this this kind of part time uh, sign up on your own pace firework gig. Mm-hmm. So thanks typical. for that. Typical, <laughs> real yeah. typical. Uh, just a, just a very normal path for a college student you know mm-hmm. interestingly enough though i would say you probably been speaking from my own experience you probably made more money doing fireworks than you did stringing uh high school football games actually, high school football paid games. pretty decently yeah, you'd be did. surprised it wasn't it wasn't too bad yeah. I, w- I would actually genuinely recommend that to any college uh college age journalism student who's local during high school football season for sure. the the cool thing about it is like you have to go chase down your interviews you have to go find the person on the field the one funny thing, you know, one thing I've always thought about sports media is it, it's very catered to you, mm. uh, with with the PR and the press conferences and and the it's player availabilities. Contained. contained, yeah, contained is a good word for it. And you know, it's it's uh, it's it's for one thing, you know, at the athletic, um, I think one thing they encourage us to do is go outside of scheduled availabilities because because it is so contained and neutered in a way like you are always going to get a very similar thing from a media availability from a from a press conference you know there's of course exceptions but you know i think whenever you're going outside of what pr sets up for you um is where the interesting stories can really be told um certainly something i've tried to do uh you know here and there so that's that's one thing that is that has interested me tim cato the athletic.com the uh Wow, I was gonna promote some of your things, but I guess you just. I mean, did that I figured it, we were. It was like it was running so close to promotion that I just had to push it over the line. Like it yeah. felt uncomfortable. That to just does like count as an ad read, so we don't <laughs> have to do it anymore. Uh, if you go to uh, theathletic.com slash seventy seven minutes in heaven, you can get what forty percent off. Forty percent off. Forty percent off a subscription. I'm a day oneer since the since the athletic DFW uh, launched. When yeah. was that? 2018, 2019? When was that? We launched in early 2018. Okay. I was not a day one, or I was a subscriber, but I, I didn't mm. get hired until May. But we launched in February. Yeah, because it started with just like baseball and Cowboys, Rangers and Cowboys, and Stars. Yes. And then they added um, you, I think. I think Cowboys came along a little, little bit later as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around yeah. the draft, I think. It was, it was or Levi and Sean. Mm. Uh, Levi Weaver, Sean Shapiro, or Morial. Mm. And so it was us three, but... But yeah, and and just to quickly bring it back to the uh, to the ad read. Oh, okay. Since we love okay. we love the we love the corporate sponsorships. Who's uh, we? 70, 77 minutes in heaven is the uh, the name of a uh, daily, not a daily, but a uh, a weekly Mavericks podcast I'm doing with a couple uh, national co-hosts. Suppose, what do you call it? Is if it's twice a week, is that bi-weekly or is bi-weekly once every two weeks? I believe I actually read this the answer to this, mm-hmm. but I forget it. One of them is correct, and it, the other it, is it wrong. actually means. Either twice a week or every other week, and I forget which one is technically correct because there is a term that I never heard of that is used for the other one. But I, but I couldn't tell. Yeah, you. I want to say that biweekly is once every two weeks, but then you hear that something is like semi-monthly, and that means that I, I don't know if that means twice a month or or once every two months either. So like, either way, uh, Tim, you do you kind of have like a rotating cast of guests whenever you host, and then also uh, Mavs TV play-by-play voice Mark follow a host with Brian Damaris, uh, who are also the host of the Ticket postgame show that they work on with Jake Kemp, who also is on the four-pointer with Mike and works at The Athletic with you. 
and now Boy. got promoted to host on the ticket. I don't. Everybody is moving around. Like skin do, is now at the eagle. My world has been flipped upside down. Yeah. Do not try to make like a family tree out of all those connections it's, we just tried to list. Yeah. It, none of it makes sense at all. <laughs> none of it makes sense. Um, but the show is not actually seventy-seven minutes long, uh, so it's kind of misleading. But it is about. The Mavericks. But every minute you spend listening to it, you will feel like you're in heaven. Every minute you spend listening to it feels like 77 The show minutes. just about making out, actually. <laughs> well, that is... I will go elsewhere for the <laughs> sports talk. Um, it, was okay. a, uh, it, was, it was a title that, uh, that, that came, came around, perhaps, uh, not from Twitter. As, yeah, as you I tried was going the Democratic route. Yeah, yeah, but yeah got over on that one. Boatface didn't make the cut, I guess, or no. had other plans. Yeah. Um, so you have agreed to come on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, on the ceiling is the roof on the Mavs podcast network. It is, uh, like we said, the day after the Mavs, uh, what, 130 to 111 win over the Kings. We're at the all-star break. They're off for about a week or so. Luke is going to Chicago. Everyone else is probably already on a beach. Uh, Tim Hardaway went directly from the arena to the airport last night, according to his Instagram. Uh, KP is on a plane right now going somewhere, no idea where, but he says Mexico. So it's time to rest and relax. You're going to Chicago tomorrow. I am, weather permitting, but uh, yeah, that's, if that's you can the make idea. It. Yeah, if you can make it. I know Mike and Lizelle and a few other people from our office uh, were supposed to go today. I think their flight got delayed once, maybe twice. Uh, it's pretty chaotic up in Chicago right now. Who would have thought going to the north during the winter might get weird? You know, I uh, it's impossible for anyone to have predicted this. Yeah. Yeah. Chicago? In ice? In crazy. February? No, crazy. no, no. When you know the next two, I think, are in uh, Cleveland and Indiana. They are. So, in, yeah, reverse order, I believe. But, yeah, I think those oh, are the Oh, is it Indiana next year? I, thi- I think so, yeah. Gotcha, okay. Although yeah, I kind of feel bad for Luca. Like, his first, you know, this year will be fun. But after that, it's like uh, Cleveland. There, there's something to be said from small cities since since the All Star games. You know, you kind of have to crowd them together, or mm-hmm. it's better if the events are crowded together. In Chicago, you know, the two arenas they're doing events at are, are pretty spread apart. What's the other arena? I don't remember the name, but okay. it's it's like a mile away, and mm. you know, you can't walk anywhere in the in, in the cold and and all this stuff. So it's going to be a lot of like Ubers back and forth to various locations. So sounds brutal. Yeah. 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 Having to take an Uber down the street, man. What, what could be worse? But anyway, you should blog your entire experience. The, the, the point I'm leading up to ramping up to here, if you will allow me. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Hosted every year in New Orleans. It's a good city every year. It's a good party city. And the secondary events get hosted right next door at the Superdome. That is, that's a good idea. It's it's because All Star Weekend is always when football's over, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there's nothing going on, and right. college football's way done. It's before any like pro day combine stuff where teams would need to use the Superdome. That's a really good idea. I, you know, I don't think I came up with it. I just saw it on Twitter somewhere. Oh, but oh well, never mind. <laughs> that that idea know. is. I'm less impressed by you then. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk some Mavs. We can do that. Uh, we're going to begin with a little bit of trade deadline stuff, and then a little later on we'll talk about kind of like takes of the season and uh, talk about Luca and KP or Z or whatever we're calling them these days and uh, how those guys look not only last night but also just kind of in the future. Uh, but first, the trade deadline was a week ago today. I know it seems like it was a l- much longer, like feels like ancient history now, 
partly partially because the Mavs, I think, have played four or five games since then, but also a lot of stuff has happened. Luke has come back. They had some weird losses, um, and you know, time is uh, slipping away from all of us as we get older. But uh, the Mavs did not make a trade on deadline day. They did get Michael Kidd Gilchrist the day after or two days after, and uh, they traded for Willie Cauley-Stein a week before the deadline. So they kind of rebuilt their roster a little bit, at least around the edges, which is kind of what I thought they might do. But um, they did not do anything of note on trade deadline day as the action was swirling around them. And uh, you wrote on theathletic.com slash DFW, an article titled, quote, Why the Mavericks stood pat at the trade deadline and why that might be for the best, end quote. And so that uh, sounds at face value like it could be kind of a positive thing. They did the right thing. But you said might and not is for the best. And so what I'm curious is, just generally speaking, we'll talk about like specific players in a, in a little bit, but generally speaking, why do you think that was or might have been for the best uh was it what you expected? And I guess, really, you can kind of take that wherever you you want. Yeah, I mean, I like using might because, you know, uh, less blame gets put on me if I'm wrong. Mm. But but it, like in, in all seriousness, like, you don't know what was out there. I was not in the front office. I do not know what trades they chose not to pursue or declined or were asking about. Like, it's impossible to know. Like, I do think that there is a scenario where they chose to do a trade that I I might have done and they chose not to do it. Sure, that's possible. But but I, th- I think my, my bigger point and, and the, you know, the, the larger idea of the story was that, you know, this team doesn't need to make a deal. This is not I, – I, I've said this a few times and I've got some – like, this is not its season. Like, this is in every possible way, you know, a, a great season, a, a will be a playoff season, you know, knock on – would mm-hmm. um, but it would it would take you know something catastrophic for them not to make the playoffs at this point with the, with the way the standings are especially are now that Dame hurt is growing and who knows how long that'll sideline especially especially because of stuff like that you know as long as they have health like they will s- easily slide into you know somewhere between th- I would say the fifth and seventh seed um, and so this is this is an important type of season for a team that's that's you know building you know for a team that is approaching what is going to be a long stretch of playoff contention, you know, or, or certainly it, it appears to be that way right now with the, with the way the roster shaping up with, with the two young stars that they have under contract, you know, so you need to go through the season and you need to get your playoff lumps and you need to know what it feels like, you know, and, and sure you make a couple of small moves here and there uh, that, that help you, you know, be as successful as you can in the playoffs. Yes, I agree with that. But ultimately the thing that is going to make them most successful in the playoffs in the long term is this experience they're going to get right now. You know, there isn't a player, there isn't, you know, something tangible they can add to their roster um, that will negate the fact that Luka is 20, turning 21, has never been to the playoffs. Sure, has a lot of, uh, you, know, veter- you know, pedigree based off his European success. That's different. That's like he's still a young player who's figuring it out. Uh, the same goes for Porzingis, you know. He, uh, he is now, uh, with their current record, he has now won more games in a season than he ever had in New York. This is amazing. Amazing stat. Uh, I believe that was a Brad Townsend stat on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, like these are two young, playoff inexperienced uh, people who need to go through this. And, you know, the same goes for the roster. There's a few people, you know, Hardaway's been in the playoffs once or twice. I uh, really only played once. Seth, Seth Curry last year with Portland. But, uh, you know, these are these are bench players. These are role players. They have never been to the playoffs with the Mavericks. 
there is something to going with the team that you have, with the offense and the, the schematic structure that you have. There's something about going to the playoffs with that and figuring how it works, you know, when, when defenses lock in a little bit more and, and lineups, you know, skew a little bit smaller because that's how, what they always do in the postseason. Um, so that's all important experience. And basically, my point is that you can't add that in the deadline. You can, you can only wait. You can only wait for that process to happen. And that's what the season, you know, that's what's going to be important this season. And the fact that they didn't make a small move for this player, this veteran, or that veteran, I guess it's just, you know, it's hard for me to get too worked up about it. Mm. So that's kind of from like a, I agree with you on all that. I think that a couple of years ago, like when Philly first got really good, I was like, all right, you know, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can definitely play, but, you know, th they got to learn to lose. And no team ever goes from worst to first, but no team ever goes from, seventh place to a championship either I mean even the Warriors went to the playoffs in what 2013 they won a series and it was like shocking and then the next year they get bounced in the first round so they, they didn't win the championship until their third year I mean, in the playoffs. I mean, even even the Mavericks championship the 2011 yeah. championship that that Miami team came together they struggled to start the year you know they, they got it rolling they went to the finals but you know I, I don't think it takes anything away from the Mavericks championship to say that the 2012 heat would have been a much different matchup a much tougher matchup than yeah. the 2011 version they faced and that's against guys LeBron been to the finals Dwayne Wade won a championship Chris Bosh many playoff runs I mean those guys had all accumulated a ton of experience before they went to the playoffs I, th I think it, you're right in saying that it's a different game but um, I guess more from a this trade deadline kind of illuminated uh me I guess or I don't even know how to phrase this kind of helped me realize that the NBA salary rules are like they might seem simple to us because we just stare at this stuff all day but to the general public they're not and so this could be I guess if you want to tie it to somebody like Andre Drummond for example who makes 27 million dollars a year and I don't even care about the fit on the court I'm just talking purely getting a player that makes 27 million dollars um, it's very hard to do <laughs> and so can you explain, not in the most elementary terms possible, but like if you're an NBA fan and you see, well, and you're of the belief that the Mavs needed to add some size and you see, well, Cleveland only gave up John Henson and Brandon Knight who don't even play ever. So why couldn't the Mavs go and, and top that offer? Well, can you explain why, and again, it doesn't even have to be about this specific player, but why salary uh, cap kind of machinations and, and, and the way the Mavericks contracts are structured made a deal like that in unlikely to impossible to execute. I, I can't explain that. So pretty much every single team during a season is over the cap, correct? Yes. With with maybe two or three exceptions. You have to be within like, what, $12 million or something like that? I think 10%, this year? yeah. Okay, yeah. So you have to be within about $11 million. Otherwise, you pay a, fee, a fine, yes. essentially. Yeah. So, so every team is over the cap, which means that when you are over the cap, one of the penalties is that you, much, you must match salaries when you make trades. That number is 25%, I believe, right? Yes. So if I'm giving you $8 million, the most I can get back is $10 million. Right, right, right. Or 7.5 and 10. But quick maths. No. Is it 8? 25% of 8 is 2. Oh, yikes. Yep. I don't really know how any of this, honestly. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that, no, no, no. That, that was actually a very embarrassing mathematical gap on my part. Go ahead and but, cut, but cut yeah. that audio out. Just, <laughs> I'm going to save that. I'm going to hold on to that. Oh, man. You got dirt on me now. Yeah. Um, so 20, 25% you have to match. 
you know, has the, the salary going in has to be within 25% one way or the other of the salary going out. So if Andre Drummond is making 27, uh, I did this math before, I don't remember off the top of my head, but it's about like, you know, you'd have to send back about like 22.5 or 30 or 23. Yeah. To do that, or you can go more, but that's okay. That's yeah, a lot the, of money. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's that's not that wasn't a functional fit for this roster. Mm. A functional fit for this roster would have been maybe Courtney Lee and Justin Jackson and one more player, or much more realistically, Tim Hardaway Jr. and another player. And I don't think anybody, not not even not even like the the most Drummond fan maverick out there, I don't think that they would want to give up Tim Hardaway Jr. for Andre Drummond. I would certainly hope not. Right. It's just, it's not functional. You know, it's not, it's not what this team does. So while you can look at Andre Drummond and say, yes, he is, you know, on the surface, he could fix some of the problems that they, you know, have some of the rebounding stuff, you know, maybe, you know, do, do, you know, he'd be a pick, pick and roll thread and, and things like this. Functionally, there is no way to get him here unless you're giving up a player that has been fundamental to the team's success this year. Um, and so that that's like that's really the biggest issue. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of issues, but but I think that's the starting point. You start with that, and you just say, "Is this trade possible? Is there some way to do it?" Uh, like they have a trade exception, doesn't work. Trade exceptions have to be traded, you know, exclusively with that. You can't yeah, you can't couple a trade exception with a player. Right, right, right. You can't say, "Okay, we have 15 million, and we need to get to 23 million to match this 28 million dollar Drummond contract." You can't just like throw eight million of a trade exception. Um, and if you have no clue what I'm talking about, I will say, I still don't think I quite understand trade exceptions. Certainly, how they're created. Um, and this is this is the thing that took me like ten years to like. I, I've been doing this for about like tenish years, and I'm still a little hazy on them. Mm. Um, but it anyway. is confusing. But just think of it as like uh, a gift card, and <laughs> say like yeah. if you, if you take a gift card to a restaurant, you have to put the entire purchase on the gift card. You can't combine the gift card with cash. That's Just funny. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's actually a, a pretty decent off the off the t- top of the head analogy. So yeah, well, good job, hey, Robert. Thank you. Um, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a fair way to look at it, and it's just you know, I will argue that Drummond wasn't a good fit on this team anyway, and we can argue that, but you also you know it is important to understand, and again, it d- it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the sport if you don't know this stuff. It's not important. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're wondering one reason why the Drummond trade couldn't happen. You know, this is this is you know what we try to keep you guys up to date with because it's a mess. The CBA is a mess. There's a whole site that is you know more complicated than anything I studied. That's the simplified version of the CBA. The CBA CBAFAQ.com. Yeah, that's the simplified version. And studying that makes me feel like I'm in school again. So you know, it's it's a complicated machination and and all these things. You know, there's all swirling around. Tons of rules. Some tons of exceptions. You know, it's a lot like the English language where it's I after E, except after C, except for these other 17 dozen words <laughs> that also don't apply to this. So it's, it, there's a lot going on there, and, and that is one important thing to remember, specifically in the context of Drummond. But also remember that, you know, if, if there is a player going forwards that you want the Mavericks to trade for and, and who makes like 25 or million or more. Yeah, or even, I mean, even within the range of somebody that, like, for example, if you look at the Mavs cap sheet right now, and this is, I guess, super nerdy stuff, but a lot of the players on the team right now make between about $8 million and $10 million. You have like five or six guys in that range, including Luca, who obviously you'll never trade. But then there are a lot of other players that are super valuable to the Mavericks, and this is where it gets important. Uh, a lot of players in that range that are very valuable to the Mavericks, so much so that in order to 
compile salaries to like trade up and get a guy that makes a lot of money, you're going to have to give up three or even four of those players to do so because they're, they're very good and they're on good contracts. But in that case, you're giving up three or four huge, huge rotation pieces to get one guy. And so it, it kind of like they're, they're like bargain value contracts, right? Like I think like everybody would agree that Dorian Finney-Smith and Maxi Kleba are like horribly underpaid or at least – it's a very team-friendly deal. Maybe right, that's the most right. PC way of putting it. Sure. Um, because those guys are making way more money than they ever have, so I'm sure they're thrilled. But, like, look at what Robert Covington was able to demand on the trade market. Like, what would what would they be able to trade Dorian for right now? I mean, <laughs> right. they would get whatever they want, you know, for a contract like that. But anyway, when, whenever you have a lot of guys on those like sort of, like, mid-level contracts, it's very difficult to package so many of them together because the Mavericks' strength right now is they're not – like Houston, where they're seven deep, they're 12 deep. And if you take three or four of those guys away and replace them with one, you're going to be losing a lot of stuff. You know, you're going to be losing a lot of production elsewhere because they have a lot of guys who serve pretty specific roles, which is kind of a strength. But also, I guess when it comes to transaction making, it's almost like a weakness. Yeah, I think that's all fair. And, and, the other thing to remember is, is like, you know, kind of opportunity cost. And if you were to package a couple players for, for another player in a trade, you know, you don't have those players you package to trade next year if, if, you know, the team should so desire, you know, next year when, you know, they've been through the playoffs once and they realize, you know, we have these good players, but they don't quite fit the role that we need. You know, we need, you know, a, you know, you know, some, some other player next year. You know, they, they look at the roster, they see a weakness and, you know, having those contracts that they didn't trade and, and now still available, still you know, uh, you know, literally just like having the Tetris blocks of how much they make to pair together into a deal that will match, you know, another player's salary. Like, it's important to have those things. Yeah, it's, flexi- it's flexibility. Exactly. Uh, I would say probably, I know going into the deadline, there were a lot of fans that wanted a big man and still do. And there were a lot of fans that wanted a wing defender. And I guess I was among them. I mean, I was saying uh, when I'm choosing between those two, I would say that wing defense, perimeter defense is a much more pressing need. Um but what I'm curious to hear from you is once they get to the playoffs and whether they win a series or not or two series or three series, whatever, what do you think when the dust settles, uh, what what do you think an experience in the playoffs will show or will reveal um, that this team needs? Not Not like specific player name, obviously, but like what kind of – what do you think that uh, playing four games against the Lakers or seven games against the Lakers or whatever would suggest that the Mavericks need to do? Where where do you think they'll need to upgrade? Because the playoffs will kind of reveal some of your, like the Rockets, maybe we don't need Capella because in the playoffs we don't really use them that much. I mean, wh- what kind of secrets do you think the playoffs will show? Well, I think that ball handling and secondary creation is obviously going to be one. I think that, you know, crunch time situations are a micro version of the of the playoffs and, you know, we've we've seen how the team has struggled in the final 5 minutes of clutch games a lot this season. And I do think that one of the easiest ways to solve that is or best ways to solve that beyond experience because I think it's partly that as well. But but one of the easiest ways to solve it, it would be to have a consistent, you know, secondary playmaker next to Luka who you can really rely on to, you know, uh, under pressure, you know, to, to make the right plays, to, to create shots for other players occasionally when Luca can't do it. Um, you know, I think that will be important. Um, I think that we've seen limitations from every ball handler on this team. Uh, they, they all have, they're all very good in their specific roles. And 
Um, you know, perhaps Brunson uh, can make another step next season because he is probably the youngest player, you know, has who has, you know, a little bit more potential than, you know, Seth Curry. We know what Seth Curry is. We know what DeLon Wright is. You know, Brunson still has some up, upwards flexibility. Um, but but I do think at some point you're going to need another ball handler. Um, I think you're right. As many wings as you can get in the playoffs, that's a, that's a useful thing. Um, you know, how many, how many players, you know, right now on the roster are a – could start or you could be in the rotation of a finals team. You know, it's probably only four or five, to be honest. I don't know. You think that's it? Um, can we name names? Well, okay. So th- let's do it like reductively. I, I don't even know if that was the right use of reductive, but I wanted to say it. Uh, how many players on the team right now would, I think Houston's too extreme of, ex- of an example, but how many of the players on the team right now would be in the rotation for the Lakers? Or is that a curious case because it's so tilted toward LeBron and AD? Yeah, that maybe, that maybe the Clippers. I feel like the Clippers the, are a better example for that. The Clippers are almost like the most complete team that we've right. seen. Right, you long know, it's time. tough. It's tough. Like yeah. you know, Milwaukee. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, crap. You know, there's there's Milwaukee some players who would play. You know, yeah. I th- I think that they were you know pretty much every player in the role that they currently have could s- you know maybe the top five or six players on this team could slide over to one of those you know one of those teams, but they their roles would also be reduced like. Perhaps, you know, yeah. DeLon I mean, I'm not Wright sure Finney would start. An 18-minute games guy. Finney Smith might be like a 24 minutes per game guy, you know, like stuff like that. So, and it's interesting. The playoffs are weird. You know, things change. If, if, you're, if you're a questionable shooter, you know, I think Maxie and, and Finney Smith have both done uh, great things. You know, this season, like they, their shooting has clearly improved. Um, they're, you know, two of the they're, – they're two of the better players this season for, for the Mavericks, but – I still do think teams will test out their shooting. They they will put them alone in the corner. I think you saw Utah do it, where Utah, you know, amply helped off uh, Finney Smith two games ago, mm. and and in the last game it was Maxi. Uh, I think they did it for Maxi two games ago in Utah as well. Um, and if those guys aren't going to hit open threes, and and they need to hit like half of them, mm. um, I know they've been hit. I know they're both been shooting about you know around forty percent, but if you're wide open. And they're leaving you those shots. Like th- there is some level of, of, you know, it's it's interesting. It's it's an interesting how that the the mind games also start to play in there. If you know, I think as a player who's used to ball movement and, and stuff like that, you give them three or four wide open threes in a row, and if they're not all going down, they start questioning. Like, oh, is is this actually the right thing? Well, and then the guy that has the ball is like, should I pass it to him? Exactly. So and you can just sort of deconstruct so their the playoffs. Office. The playoffs really amplify that stuff, um, and. I I don't I think this team has a lot of players who are fantastic regular season in, in in their roles that they have but you know there's a few of them that I think have something to prove in the playoffs and, and maybe that's it you know maybe they just have some, something to prove we'll get there and we'll see how they do and you know we'll we'll kind of adjust our stance on them from there mm. so then I guess that kind of leads I mean we left it sort of open ended but the the last thing I want to uh ask about kind of trade transaction roster stuff before we start moving on um to basketball specific things is um you know going into this summer they don't they're not projected to have cap space Uh, i guess they could if like tim hardaway opts out which may or may not happen i think i don't think anybody knows what's going to happen this summer because the whole landscape is very weird but um assume that tim hardaway opts in i guess you can do an alternate scenario if you want um but if if he opts into his deal then they're going to be over the cap and so i would imagine that means that they're going to be a trade viable team um 
They've got a first round pick. Yeah, they can't trade it till draft day. Until draft day, and they have that really good second round pick too, which they could trade at any point. But um, and and not going down the road of like specificity because nobody knows, and you would probably say (laughs) something the wrong thing anyway because they never do what we expect. But uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think they're going to have a really active summer? Do you think that they're going to like push the chips closer to the middle, or do you think that they're going to be maybe a little more like? Assuming that they don't just get totally humiliated in the playoffs, maybe they even win a series or something. Like, do you think that they'll be like, yeah, let's just kind of roll with with what we're doing? So, Basketball Reference has a really cool feature where it tracks like the minutes, the percentage of minutes that were played by a team of players who were on the team the previous year, mm-hmm. right? Continuity rankings, right? Yeah, yeah, continuity. I think that this team's gonna have a nice like 80% continuity. Okay. So I, I do think that you know most of the players are under contract. Uh, I, I'm not excluding the possibility of a, of a decent-sized trade, but I think that this rotation will be fairly intact headed into next season, just based off you know the the context of everything around this team and you know what they're still trying to do, how young they are. I, I do think the playoff success or lack of success will will factor in there a little bit. You know, if, if one player, you know, really struggles, you know, maybe it's like, all right, this isn't a playoff piece for us. And even if this player was really good in the regular season, we, we're, we're happy moving on because, you know, we kind of saw them under the bright lights, if you will. And, you know, just the, the increased uh, pressure and different style of, of postseason play. Um, but I tend to think that, you know, this is just a – this is right now as a, as a roster that's, you know – under contract and, and fairly together and, and does make a lot of sense and has done a lot of good things this year. Um, 2021, the summer of 2021 is really where I'm really thinking that, you know, if this, if this seems going to change things up, that's, that's when it would happen. So it's almost one of those things too, where for the last 30 games, it's been like one of Luca or KP has been out almost the entire time. I think they've only played what nine games together since Mexico city, something like that. I mean, it's been like, it's about like that, yeah. It's really, really been kind of on and off with those guys. And so if they come back and they're healthy the rest of the season and they have a good showing in the playoffs, whatever that means, uh, whether it's winning a series or whether it's just giving, putting up a fight, I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But if they come back out of the All-Star break and keep steamrolling teams the way that they have whenever they're both healthy, then there's really no pressure to do anything too crazy because, like, if we have two great players – Let's just surround them with good players. You know, I mean, it it, it really simplifies the process. Like basketball is complicated, but it's it's kind of also simple sometimes. Yeah, I mean, Skin <laughs> asked me Skin <laughs> asked me last night on numbers on the boards. He goes, "Is uh, is who would you rather have, KP or Chris Middleton?" I was like, "Well, dang, I don't know. I mean, they're both great, but I mean, if I'm starting a team, probably KP, right? Right. And Chris Middleton is the second best player on the best team in basketball. I mean, as far as second bananas go." It's like AD and Paul George. Right. That's probably it that are definitively better than KP. And so if it's that simple, then, like, you don't got to overcomplicate it. Right. We'll we'll see. We'll see. Um, Okay. Uh, The season thus far, the Mavs are, what, 33 and 22. They've won 60% of their games. They're on pace for their most wins in a regular season, uh, depending on how that 81 and 80. 81st and 82nd game go, uh, their highest win percentage since at least 2014, 2015. If not, then all the way back toward uh, the championship season in 2011. At the same time, it feels like they've kind of left meat on the bone, right? There's been good, there's been bad. Uh, there's been joy, there's been frustration. But if you had to boil it down to one word for this season, one word, 
to describe everything or maybe like a short phrase or something, but like not longer than five. All right. Let's let's keep this as simple as possible. And yes, I'm extending this question to give you more time to think about it. <laughs> if you could do that, condense it down. How would you characterize or describe this season so far? On track. On track? Okay. All right. How so? I was going to say progress when you're eliminating a one word, but uh, or progression. I, I think, think on, on track nails it a little bit better. On hyphen track? I think you could. We're on track? Yeah, I think yeah. you could. Uh, in, w- in what ways? You know, I think I've seen the things that I have needed to see from KP. Um, I, I've seen him for the first 10 games try to play like he did in New York and realize it wasn't working over the next 20 games, kind of build, you know, integrate into this offense more and more. Uh, as of the past couple months, the shots, you know, the efficiency, the scoring has come with more regularity. Um, I've seen the partnership with Luca grow in the appropriate ways. I've seen Luca take the steps forwards that I, you know, I expected him to take. Um, out of all the role players, I think we had a pretty good idea. Like, like this season was all about, you know, Luca and KP, and, and probably mostly about Porzingis. You know, just the way he looked and, and the way he was able to to uh, to develop and and you know just reorientate himself to the NBA game after missing 19 months. And I think I've seen those two people kind of on the track that I would want them to be on. Like, I don't have any major complaints. I, you know, I know KP's been up and down. I know that, you know, it's unfortunate Luca's missed some time, that, you know, his three-point percentage is down. You know, of course, there's things to quibble with. But, you know, all all in all, you know, Luca is an all-star starter. Uh, Porzingis really does look better to me. And, And this is partly shaded. Like, I might not be quite as optimistic without the Sacramento game. Yeah, the I mean, Sacramento. If we, if we did this after Phoenix, it would be like, oh man. Right, right, right. The Sacramento game does like, you know, it's it's one game. Even Porzingis said after the game himself that, you know, there's still going to be ups and downs. You know, it's not always going to be this easy, and and that's right. And if it's more down than up the rest of the season, that that might paint my, you know, my introspective look at the season a di- little bit different way when everything's said and done. But as of right now, I feel like things are progressing in the right way that they're on track. And, you know, it's mostly for me, this season is about those two. And, yeah. I would use experimental as my word. Now, I had longer to think about this question because I wrote it down last night. But uh, the reason I say experimental is because the roster has really been in flux, even though they've only made a couple moves since the summer. Um, guys have been hurt. Dwight Powell started the season on the bench. He was out with a hammy, came back in, took him a while to get used to it, and then finally he starts clicking while well, he's out for the year. KP in and out, Luca in and out, Tim Hardaway comes off the bench. Now he's in the starting lineup. DeLon Wright was the starting point guard. Now he comes off the bench. Uh, Justin Jackson was great, and then now he's kind of fallen way down the pecking order. Um, sometimes, whenever you perform an experiment, you're going to discover the cure for pneumonia. Or polio, I guess. Um, do you cure or pneumonia? Or paranoia. You, oh, wow. Okay. All right. Uh, other but times, you're going to spill a beaker on the floor and lose to the Knicks twice. You're going to... I'm telling you, the, the two Knicks losses, that was part of the Porzingis paid, uh, yeah. trade package. I am convinced yeah. of that. Uh, sometimes acid is going to like break through your little uh, protector and it's going to, you know, burn a hole through your skin. This is getting more. And you're going to lose in Washington, D.C. I mean, like, sometimes things go weird. Is in Bradley Beal the acid in the scenario? Yes, he is. Oh. And the, the, the glove was... He's the a really nice guy. Defense. That's kind of rude. Wow. Well, acid, like ACID. This isn't uh, Matisse Theibel's Rising Stars message, okay? This is... Goodness. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, sometimes things go wrong, but I, I think the entire year has kind of been one like experiment after another, which I'm sure makes Rick Carlisle really happy because I think he's like a problem solver at heart. I think he likes fiddling. That's his. <laughs> yes. That's like his biggest pastime as coach. I think, and that's like in both good and bad ways. I mean, he's done some things this year that have been puzzling, but he's also struck a lot of beautiful chords right they're the number one offense ever so um yeah i think this year was always kind of about just trying to make the playoffs and they start 16 and 6 and now we're like okay they need to win the championship right now and so whenever you move your expectations up you're you're just setting yourself up for disappointment but um every kind of problem that's arisen they've been able to solve yeah, the other thing I should have said is, and, and like you just said, they, they are on track for the playoffs, and that, that is the other crucial thing about this season. They could not miss the playoffs this year. Yeah, it would they, have been brutal. They needed, they, they had to get the timeline on Luca. you know, building this experience, getting to know what it's like. They had to get him and Porzingis there. How different do you think this season is, though, if Steph Curry doesn't break his hand basically on opening night, and if... Portland's entire starting lineup isn't hurt for the first month and a half of the year and if San Antonio didn't need 30 games to kind of get it rolling I mean there's like a there's a really good chance that instead of a eight or nine team race it's like a 12 or 13 team race in the west this year yeah I mean how much different is it if if Luca doesn't step on two ankles twice that's true. or ste- step on two feet with his ankles that's true that was a really awkward way to say that step, step on two on feet with his ankles step on two different feet it, it makes it sound like he's just like jumping onto like yeah, two purposely feet at once. on his ankles, just landing. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you can play the what ups all the time. I, I do agree. The Western Conference, uh, you know, it, it's heavy, it's top heavy, and the the bottom half, uh, you know, was both afflicted by a number of calamities, you know, injuries and and just reasons that things were going poorly, and then also has just been a. Uh, you know, it just hasn't been as good as we thought. So, although, you know, clearly teams like Memphis are, are coming along now. And Dude, John Moran is so good. Yeah. Lord. They're looking like Lordy. a real problem. They're yeah, looking like yeah, a real yeah. problem. But, I mean, and, of course, Zion being out for, like, the entire right. year. You know. Yeah, I mean, it just – I don't play a lot of – you know, it just seems silly to me to play the what-if game with stuff like this because there's just, there's just too many. Like, mm. like, you know, if you really think about it in the big picture, 82 games is a small sample size. It is. Like, you can find the best teams, but you, you know, like, what if Memphis was playing this way the entire season? You know, what if, what if, uh, what if it was a 162 game season? Like, you know, like, like baseball for some reason, like not, not physically possible, but you know, just like 82 is not a huge sample size. The, I do not think the best team every year wins the championship, but they are the best team because they won under the parameters, you know, given out Mm -hmm. in, in the sport that we play. And then, you know, physically the, you know, you can't expand those parameters anymore. You know, if you want something truly to be randomized or, you know, like, you know, all the projections on like 538, you know, they run it, they run those simulations 10,000 times to actually, you know, to, and, and it's obviously a simulation, but that they're trying to find the best team, you know, based off that many simulations. So, you know, yeah, in the big picture, everything's small sample size and nobody knows anything. And if somebody gets hurt, it changes everything. And, you know, you can go down this road just endlessly. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, I'm not, I didn't mean anything by that necessarily. Sure, sure, sure. I'm, I'm I guess what I was saying is like that all of these afflictions, if you want to call them that, happening to these teams that have fallen out of the race and the Mavs being so like, so firmly in position to make the playoffs, right? Like they're closer to second right. place than they are to ninth right now. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it just is like this season is not borrowed money, but it's almost like, man, we thought we were going to be in a dogfight for the playoffs and we just had two good months and now like we're in. Um, I think it just kind of like 
eased eased a lot of pressure off of them, which is good, I think, in a way. I mean, you want them to learn how to play under the spotlight, but like this season became much easier when you woke up on December 15th and they were like 10 games up on 10th place instead of being on the outside looking in at the All-Star break. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're both right. I was I was kind of talking to a different point, and, and you're 100% right. You know, I, I definitely think it helps. I sh- say, that, say that again? No, just I can't kidding. do it no. twice, man. Yeah. I, I, you were looking to get it once. Oh, okay. I, I would I would say that you know, um, it's it's a relief. Yeah, you know maybe in you know you zoomed out and you saw how the future would play out. Maybe it would be the best thing for this team if they had had like a hard fought playoff race and ended up with the seventh seed. You know maybe they learn a little bit more from that than than what's going to happen where you know they likely just kind of coast in. But when you when when someone like Dwight Powell goes down to an Achilles. Like, you're pretty thankful that other teams around you have slipped because mm. you just don't, you know, when bad things, you know, they, they've had their own bad luck, they've had their own injuries, and a lot it just, of bad it, luck. yeah, and it just, it makes things easier to deal with and, and just, you know, kind of relieves stress and it just, you know, kind of sets you up in a, in a, in an easier way to be like, you know, this, what's going to happen this season, what needs to happen this season is still going to happen, even though we've gone through some bad times and, you know, they, they dealt with it better than most, the, most of the other teams have, you know, they lost KP. Or I'm sorry, they lost Luca to to his first ankle sprain, and then they went to uh, Milwaukee and won on the road without him. So, you know, they they have certainly made their own luck in a few instances as well, and so I think that that is a credit to the this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've been covering the team since what 20? Uh, in per going to games and everything, being around the 2012, team, 2012. Okay, yeah, the 12-13 uh, season. So obviously times are way different back then. Uh, it's the transition is on in full force. Uh, in what ways has this year been different than seasons you've covered in the past? On the court, off the court, open-ended. Mm. I mean, I, mean I, I guess like specifically with Luca versus Dirk in mind, kind of okay. like the different sort of, um, you know, like if Dirk was on this team, they might make a Rondo like trade at the trade deadline. I guess is kind of where I was leading. Like, it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a much more. I guess I don't know. I don't, you know what I mean? Like. The final destination, whenever yeah, Dirk so was around, here. is championship, and now it's like we're right. building. It's it's fundamentally it's. A I different mean, this is obvious, but like there is a youthfulness to the team. Mm. That it's a younger team. You know, it's it's you know they don't have the the veteran you know presence, locker room leader that that Dirk was for so many years, and that, that obviously that changes the dynamics. You know, it's you know it's a it's a team whose now best player you know loves playing Fortnite. You know, still not something I'm sure Dirk knows anything about. So, <laughs> you know, that, that, that changes the dan- dynamics a bit, sure. Um, I, I think in that same sense, like, you see them screw up more often. You see, you visibly see mistakes, and you see crunch time struggles. And it's weird because you're used to, you know, Dirk and a bunch of veterans around him, and Dirk very quickly is able to meld teams around him. You know, just like the ultimate, like, glue guy while also being a superstar. You know, the gl- glue superstar. What's this? Superstar of glue. Fleck, he's Flex Seal. Yeah, okay, there it is, there it is. Um, and you just don't have it anymore. And I think, you know, the cracks are more visible in a lot of ways. And, you know, I've seen, uh, you know, maybe that's one reason why fans are get, get have got as frustrated as they have because, you know, sure, the past few years were losing seasons. But before that, they were used to these Dirk-led, veteran-laden teams that, you know, were coming together, you know, to, you know, it felt like they were outperforming their talent. And at times this season, it feels like they're not outperforming their talent. I, I think that's fair to say, mm-hmm. this Mavericks team. But you have to understand why and the context around why they're struggling. And it's because, you know, they're led by a 20 and a 24-year-old. And the 24-year-old hasn't, hasn't played basketball in 19 months. And, 
you know, even, you know, the, the team's a little bit older. The rest of the team's a little bit older than we give it credit for sometimes. You know, it's a bunch of players, role players from, you know, 26 to 28. But they don't have the playoff experience. You know, they, they don't have a, you know, some of them came to the NBA a lot later. You know, Finney Smith spent four years in college, I think. Well, fifth, he had a gap year. Yeah, that's right, that's right. You know, Maxi Kleba played you know, uh, I don't know how many years, but six years overseas, seven years. Yeah, but he had some injuries, which sat on him for a well. while. Exactly, exactly. Seth was, so. a, I think, a four-year college player, played right. a couple years in the D-League at the time. And yeah. Um, yeah, there, there's a – I agree with the youthful exuberance thing and kind of like – it's something that we're still kind of getting used to working around here is like just the – it's a total – it's a totally different thing, you know. Uh, Luca's like the Beatles. Dirk was a legend, but I'm not sure that he ever was – as beloved outside of his final season around the league as Luca is already. Yeah, just that he never got voted in as a All Star starter. Yeah, bizarre. And Luca did as as a twenty year old. Yeah, yeah. It's I, wild. I think that does speak to you know each player and. Mm. It's just I don't know. It's like a totally different thing, and and the team's attitude is different. I don't know. It's all different. That could be its own conversation sometime. I, I yeah, just, I think so. I've just really thought about that a lot. Is like, man, this whole year has been a lot of firsts without Dirk. Um, okay, but we're talking about Luca now. So, uh, well, and we'll just stick with him until the end of this thing. He is pretty freaking good, man. Um, but as someone who has, like yourself, uh, before you came back to the athletic, you were doing national stuff with SB Nation where you're pretty much watching every team or at least thinking about every player. Right. And whenever you're a Mavs fan or just covering one team, it's very easy to just, like, you know, put the blinders on and you're only thinking about these 15 guys, right? Um but just based on your experience watching the league over the course of your life, but then also thinking about other teams and other players for, for many years now, what exactly are we witnessing with him? What is, what is this? What, it, what is he? What, like, this is unprecedented what we're watching, but what exactly is it that we are laying witness to? This is going to be a very large statement, but, but like, I just need to set like this conversation up the right way. Okay. He is currently on pace to be a top three player that has ever played basketball in this league. <laughs> Holy he is. Like, like, I'm not I'm not saying he is gonna be that. Players plateau. Mm. And I'm 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 not speaking about whether he is gonna be that. I am just saying that on the course he is currently on, there I mean the only other person who compares statistically is LeBron. Yeah. And every other legend came into the league at 23, 24. Like he is he is on like he is, you know, based off the era, he's about on LeBron's pace. Mm. And that means, thus, he is on pace to be a top two or top three player ever of all time. Now, I would not actually... At least statistically. Statistically and... Uh, but, I mean, statistics, statistics matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. He would have to go win some championships and all this stuff. But, but I'm just saying, like, that, that is the level of his first two years. You know, if, if, you are a, if you are an emotionless computer and you're just plotting out his path trajectory, the trajectory of his career, that is the conclusion you would come to. Now... There's obviously a lot more that, you know, a emotionless computer cannot factor into that. Mm. And, and I think, you know, that's important. I'm not actually saying he's, he's going to be the third best player. in the. Of course I'm not. You know, I'm just saying that that is the trajectory he's going on. Um, right now we're just we're, we're seeing, like, just a, a player where it just still comes so easily. Like, I, I have yet to think of a serious moment in either his rookie or, soft, you know, sophomore season what, that he has struggled at anything for more than, like, a week at a time. And that's that's just a crazy thing. Not not even like a facet of his game. Like you know, maybe his three point shooting. You know, maybe maybe you could say that that's the one area that it's that tied directly to fatigue and usage to me. I think like his shot is nice. Right, right, right. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. So 
you know, he's it's somebody who this comes easily to. It's someone who is, um, you know, I don't know if he's still surprising himself, but I do truly believe he surprised himself when he first came into the league. I don't think he thought it would come this easily as 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 well. You know, he was fully confident, but you know, what rookie comes into the league at 19 and you know averages you know ends the season averaging you know 25 five you know 25 eight and eight 25 seven and seven so you know I, I do think that surprised him a little bit I, I do think that you know in training camp the Mavericks you know they're like oh we, we've got s- we've got a good player here he wasn't really scoring in you know that his very first training camp he was he was an elite passer you know he's rebounding well he wasn't scoring and then just like he can't he comes to the league you know the, the season starts and all of a sudden he's just you know I think it's second game he puts up 27 or 31 you know, he goes to the Spurs and, and scores, I want to say, 35. Pop was double-teaming him in, like, his fifth game in the NBA. It's it's wild how easily this has all come. Um, this this is kind of, you know, I, I think the biggest reason why we're seeing what we're seeing this season is that he has the ability to beat defenders at will, which is a funny thing to say about him given everything that was said about him leading into the draft. You know, his rookie year, he's slow. You know, he can't beat people off the dribble. Sure, he's not beating people like Russell Westbrook's beating people. It's not that his first step is blindingly quick or that, you know, he can just outrun someone in the open court, but he beats his defender whenever he wants. And that, you know, that combined with the size, combined with his passing, is the mark of a top five player in the league, and that's what he's been. Like, like you combine those three things, you are a top five player in the league. Like, there are not a lot of 6'8 playmakers who beat their players off the dribble whenever they want. If you have that, you're, you're a basketball cheat code, and that's what he is. So then if you have somebody who's that good, then does any of the other stuff even matter? I mean, I think that you and I can both agree that there's probably more talent in the NBA. Um, the talent is less diluted. There's, like, genuinely more talent from team to team than there was when LeBron came into the league 15, 18 years ago. I think the rule changes have certainly made – uh, different types of players viable that might not have been before, but in uh, basically what I'm saying in in boiling down to just like the core idea is you can't just be amazing and ha- be a one man team and go to the finals like LeBron did in 2007. But when you're as good as Luca, historically speaking, your team is going to be awesome almost no matter who else is on the team. And so if he's that good, then does any of this other stuff even matter? Like, do do players 2 through 15 ma- – like, is, is he that good, basically, is what I'm saying? Uh, no. I mean, I, I don't I don't think, you know I, – I guess I see what you're saying, but, you know, I mean, he still needs the right players around him to amplify his game to the appropriate level. Do you think that, that this team has that? Or, or what is – what is – the best version of a Luca team look like in your mind? Are you are you asking whether it might kind of look like this team right now? Just with I, a better I'm, Luka? I'm, that's not what I'm getting at. But I mean, kind like I've kind of been in denial of that all year, simply because of the per, like the names on the paper don't line up with the ideas of the player in my mind. But then right. seeing Robert Covington and seeing Dorian Finney-Smith, I'm like, well, that's kind of like Spider-Man meme. Like maybe it maybe it is. I don't know. I, I what do, what do you think? It's it's not ridiculous for me to think that in two years, if Luca takes another step in terms of the three point shooting and, and KP becomes you know like the player we saw against Sacramento uh, on a consistent basis, that you know this says this team is like a Bucks like team. Like I guess I I do in in the sense that the top two players influence how the players beneath you know below them play. 
yeah, like I, I wouldn't look at the Milwaukee roster either and think this is the best team, you know, in the league and the certainly in the Eastern Conference. You know, they're playing, you know, co- consistent rotation minutes to Pat Connington yeah. and Sterling Brown. Yeah. And, uh, you know, th- those are not names that jump out at me and, and make me think. Oh. Wesley Matthews starts for that team. Right. Right. You're right. And it's just it, it does it does make you think in that capacity. Um, I also think that they're. Still is, you know, certainly a a gap between where Luca is and where Giannis is mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, making up for, you know, teammate mistakes and amplifying them and, and turning them into the best possible versions of themselves. You know, he's yeah, getting I mean there. He's defensive he's impact. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> I guess that's that's essentially what I'm saying. You know, yeah. like like he is always gonna, you know, unlock the best offensively out of out of his teammates. And you know, he's not, you know, at his peak in that capacity yet. But clearly, you know, the fact that this is the best offense ever. You know, not not pace adjusted, but you know, this season just the number itself, the offensive rating itself, is the best ever. You know, that a lot of that comes from Luca and the 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 top down effect of Luca. Um, but there's a difference. You know, there there is a a winning a impact on winning that you know him and KP will both have to you know r- go towards and reach before I'm willing to say you know, this is a championship team with, with a similar roster, you know, even if you make tweaks around the edges and, you know, switch out, I don't know, like just, just for example, a DeLon Wright with another player, or, you know, maybe you, uh, maybe, maybe you, uh, you know, you have another wing that you bring in, you know, you, you know, maybe you, I don't know, like Covington, you know, just because he was, you know, you have a player like him that you can pair with Finney Smith, stuff like that. You know, I, I think that at some point you're going to, you're going to quibble around with the lineups, but yeah, if, if, if the question, and, and I know, the, the question is nebulous, but if the question is, do the Mavericks have to go get Giannis in two years to win a championship? No, no, that that is that is not. I do not think they need a, you know, second or third best player who is like known as a bona fide star, if if their two players, you know, kind of hit the peaks. And I think there's still big questions there. You know, not not really with Luca, but you know, with KP, I think he still has plenty to prove and his health to prove. But, um, but yeah, it's it, having two stars this good fundamentally changes what your team does in this sport because the sport is played with so few players. Um, yeah. It's just weird to think about because 12 months ago I was like, yeah, Luke and KP are probably going to be good. Right. But now we're thinking like, what are the odds that if nothing crazy happens that they don't go to a finals in the next f- 10 years? I mean, it's – and maybe that's like too optimistic on the extreme. Right. But – I don't know. I mean, if you look at the NBA, like, look at the state of the Western Conference two years from now, whenever Luke is on a second deal. Like, it's yeah. going to be a totally different – I mean, now crazy things happen. Paul yeah. George wakes up and goes to OKC and then goes to the Clippers. I mean, like, wild things happen in the NBA all the time. But if we remain on schedule here, I mean, two years from now, like, the powers that be are going to not be anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. And, like, I think I've brought this up before and, and fans kind of push back just because, like, like you shouldn't – you shouldn't be basing your timeline around your conference necessarily, but when they both line up, when they both happen to line up, like you should be cognizant of that and you should be aware that, you know, get some playoff experience this year, you know, even if it's only one round, win, win a playoff series next year, and then you're set up for 20, what, 20, uh, 2021, 2022. Mm, yeah, and that's whenever Luke is in the first year of his deal and that's whenever right, they have uh, all the cap uh, space and everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So. Well, I guess that would be the last year of Lucas' deal, but he, whenever right. he's going into his right, next deal. Right. Ideally, you know, right when he's already signed his extension. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, what does a fully realized Luca look like? And 
KP look like? And I guess because they're inseparable, I mean, from one another, I guess what does Luca and Porzingis look like whenever it's fully functioning? And, and obviously there's been so many articles about them recently and also all year long, but it's kind of like – I don't know the 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 separation from what we like think and and what we expected versus what is actually happening on the court like numerically is very wide. Like the narrative is that it's not working out, but the stats would be like, well, they score 1.25 points every time he screens for Luca. So like whatever they're doing is working, but but what does it? What will they have to do, I guess, for you to be like, it, it, it works. It's working now. You know, like, is it, is it something different or is it just a matter of him making more shots? Like, what, is, what does it actually look like in your mind? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a good question. I, to some extent, you know, the, the, the cheap cop-out answer is we don't know entirely because they're still figuring it out on their own. Um, for Luca, like, you know, we all know the James Harden comparison. I, he's always going to be sloppier, like, like look sloppier, look, look like he's doing something a little messier than, than Harden. Harden, like you know, like him or not, like a lot of his stuff looks very intentional. Like, like he sh- every time he shoots a layup, it's the same layup. Mm. Where Luca will get in and shoot these like wacky off balance floaters that look different every <laughs> he gets time. Bored. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, he is the thing about Luca is like his touch. Like he has some of the best touch of any player in the league, and so he can throw in shots, you know, from different angles that he hasn't never practiced before. You know, and you know, kind of a different way. So, you know, I, I think I think. Um, He's going to get better at that. You know, he's going to hit more threes. He's going to become, you know, a little bit more uh, conditioned. And um, for Porzingis, you know, I, I think that – I think Porzingis, you know, on, on a night-to-night basis when he's at his best, he's going to look different every night. Like, he is perfectly adaptable. Like, he should be perfectly adaptable however defenses play him. Um, like, in the Houston game, he was way different than he was last night, exactly, for example. Exactly. So, you know, literally just, like, how you choose to defend the pick and roll. Porzingis – has an ability, you know, or, or theoretically has an ability to beat you any way you choose to defend him. And it's different aspects, of whether whether it's a pop and, and shoot a deep three um, or whether he's going to shoot, like, mid-rangers over your, you know, your, uh, your, your small guards who are switching on to him or whether he can get to the rim a little bit more and, and actually, you know, maybe throw down an alley-oop or something. We haven't seen a Porzingis alley-oop in a while, have we? Man. It's been a couple months. Yeah, it's Mexico City, I think. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. So, but you know that's all going to be there. Um, for me, I think the big thing about Porzingis is what he, you know, what he can turn into defensively, and, and whether, you know, he can turn into a, you know, a, a anchor that you put your defense, you know, you game plan your defense around. You know, I think he's he's part of the way there. You know, I, I don't think that he needs help. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. You know, it's um, it's weird. It's weird to think about it. Like it's it's there's not a clear image. You know, other than. You know, when it, when I think about what that those two, if they were on a final team, would look like, I just think of them like them right now, but 125% better, or like 125% of themselves. Mm. So, you know, I don't think they need to add anything. Their games are pretty well defined. Um, you know, Porzingis a little bit less than than Luca, but you know, this is this is how they need to play. It's not like it's not like you need to rescue Porzingis from the triangle offense in New York, and you know, taking him out of that. Like he's you've done that, and you've seen what he does here, and you know, I think this is you know, there's there's one style of offense you can play with Luca, and and that's not a bad thing because he's so good at it. You know, not, they're okay. He can play any style, but there's one style you have to play with him because that's what he's best at, and what that's what makes you better than you know pretty much other uh, any other offense in the league. And so, you know, this this team's course is in some ways locked in for the next few years unless they go get a third star, and I don't think they need to. Um, 
but maybe they have different opinions about what the actual ceiling is. I don't know. Yeah, well, the ceiling is the roof. You know that. But I do know that. Yeah, but it's like <laughs> I, I, I think I'm with you because, I, I mean, you just said a couple minutes ago that you want another playmaker, right? Or that's not that you want it, but that you think that's what the playoffs will reveal, right? And so Right. It, for me, I'm like, I just need a Tim Hardaway who's a little bit better at getting his own shot and a little bit better at setting other people up. So like, just a little more... Yeah, if you could supercharge him. Yeah, yeah. And I feel bad even saying something that's like even vaguely negative about him because he's been so good this year. He's he's the exact. He's Michael Finley. Yeah, yeah. He's the exact third piece compliment shooter that you want. Mm. But he's been almost perfect. Right. But I wonder if you could like, if you could take like a. Jalen Brunson and just like shove Jalen, maybe not even Jalen, like DeLon Wright's game and merge it with with uh, Tim Hardaway. Like that's the actual perfect third suit star that you would have. That player would make like thirty million dollars a yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, that, that player would be a little bit better than I'm. I'm that's tough, it out you know. To be. That's and that's fair. where like the restrictions of roster building come into play. But I mean, I I don't know. I guess we'll, there there's plenty of time to think about it. I guess the beauty of this team is that those two guys are a combined 44 years old. So this is the the first of many. I guess that's kind of been like the overarching message of the entire season is that like this is probably the the worst that it will be, you know? Right. Um, maybe not so because they're the best offense ever. And so to think that they'll ever, you know, get better every season is might be ridiculous. But the defense will certainly get better. And the pieces around them will probably get better or at least more comfortable, more confident. Um, so this is the first of many, man. Um, yeah. Is there anything else that you want to talk about before uh, before we get you out of here? No, you I mean we we went deep with like we went real theoretical we here. Yeah, I mean it's it's the All Star break, man. You got to give true. you got to give uh, the folks something to chew on. But um, and I, I'm I, like I'm thinking back of everything I said, and I'm both like maybe I was too optimistic about everything, and then I also feel bad about like saying some of the negative things I did. It's just it's all like it's all a jumble, and and any anything could happen, but. At the same time, not. Uh, wow, that was a big bunch of words in it's a row. It's true, though, because, I mean, we're dealing purely with just right. forecasting. Right. I mean, generally speaking, when you get two guys who are really good and really young on the same team, good things happen. But also, I think we know from watching Dirk's entire career that winning a championship is very hard and that even going on a playoff run, even winning one series sometimes requires a lot of luck so you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself, but at the same time, like I said earlier, man, players as good as Luca usually experience a lot of success. And so, I don't know, we're like on the brink of it. Yeah. Like, I don't know, five years from now, I don't know what we'll be talking about. It could be like, are they going to win their third straight title? Or it could be, man, the pressure's on them because if they don't now, then Luca can opt out. And, you know, I mean, like, I don't know. I, you can, I can see every possible outcome. I'm like Dr. Uh, Strange right now. Is that the guy that sees the future? I believe so. Okay. I think that's correct. Never seen the Avengers, if you can believe that. I'm, n- I'm not a, I've never been a big Marvel guy either. Wow. Yeah. We're just a couple. We're not even nerds then. Because we don't watch comic book movies, we just we just hate things that are popular. Yeah, yeah, it makes me cool <laughs> to think that. Um, Tim, thank you. That is uh, Tim Cato from theAthletic.com slash DFW. You can follow him on Twitter. What Tim underscore Cato? I think that's me. And uh, you can subscribe to the Athletic today if you're not already. TheAthletic.com slash seventy seven minutes in heaven. You'll get forty percent off your first subscription. I would 
definitely, definitely recommend doing that. You can also subscribe to his podcast, 77 Minutes in Heaven, everywhere. Think on the Athletic app. You don't even need to subscribe in order to listen. Yeah, right? they are. They, the, the podcasts are not behind the paywall. Beautiful. So if you need, you know, if, if you know, the Mavs.com and, and Bobby's podcast satisfy you already, I would understand that, you know. But Thanks. if you need just like if you need another 20, you know, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour of week of Mavericks audio, hit us up. Yeah, do it. Check it out. It's so. good stuff. Tim brings on good guests that have unique insight because they don't live and breathe Mavs basketball yeah. all the time. And I think know? we're going to we're going to do some funky things with it where, it's, you know, some of them are going to be a little heavier produced and kind of like a reported episode, mm. if you will. And, you know, I'll have some, you know, hopefully hoping to have a, like a player interview or two and. You know, uh, maybe maybe some roundtables that are focusing on it, like analytics specifically mm-hmm. as a topic or things like that. So, so we're gonna we're gonna do some funky things with it. It won't always, you know, just be you know three people talking, you know, around uh, talking in microphones about what in they a closet. Saw. Yeah, something like that. That yeah. was the first episode was recorded in a closet. <laughs> I think ours. Uh, I want to say maybe uh, it was was it Dave DeFore? See on your first podcast. Yeah, yeah. He was. In, I think he was recording in his closet. He might have said that. I, I was forget. like, man, the athletic is really pumping money into the. The production side of things. Um, I record in my roommate's room, so oh the wow. audio is better in there. Is it really? And he has a desk. You got to invest in some of this stuff. We got this foam up here to absorb some of the sound. You can just yell right into it, and it won't echo at all. It that it terrifies me. The patterns. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, it's very avant-garde. Um, <laughs> yeah. Subscribe uh, today. The Athletic app. It's on Spotify. It's everywhere you listen to your podcast. Heck, it's probably on iTunes if you're listening on that right now. Just search. If you search Tim Cato, it'll probably pop up, or you can search for 77 minutes in heaven. If you subscribe, I'll buy you a cookie. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, I'm, are you free right now? You got five minutes? I didn't uh, say for you. Oh, okay. It's uh, for the listeners. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, we didn't make it to 77 minutes. We're going to have to cut this thing off at 69 minutes, but uh, I think no one will complain about that. Uh, Tim, thank you very much. Good luck at All-Star Game. Don't get lost or anything. Enjoy your break, and... Uh, those of you listening at home thank you for listening thank you for subscribing if you so chose to do and uh, we'll see you after the all-star break